We're going to continue this morning in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. Good morning, everybody. My name is Andy. I'm one of the pastors here. And again, just want to say uh, welcome to you. We're so glad that you're here with us this morning. We're walking through the book of Matthew together right now. We're kind of in the middle of, well, not the middle of, kind of the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' extended sermon in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. Um, is where we'll be at this morning. And we looked at, over the last few weeks, we looked at the Beatitudes and, and what it looks like for those in the kingdom of God and how radically different it is for those who are in the kingdom of God, the life that they live, the things that they care about, the things that they find true and glorious and what, what is important to them. We talked about being salt and light and, and living our faith out in front of the world and letting the world know that we are blessed because we are in relationship with God and we want them to be in relationship as well. And then we talked last week about Christ coming and not abolishing the law, not setting the law aside, but fulfilling the law, doing everything that the law required to do, that Christ does that. And putting our faith in Christ allows us to also fulfill the law and to do what God calls us to do. And over the next several weeks, we're going to look at some very specific topics that Jesus kind of hits one after another over the next several weeks. And today we're talking about anger. And Jesus talks kind of specifically about anger and what it looks like for those who are in the kingdom of God and what it doesn't look like for those who are in the kingdom of God. If you will, we'll be in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. Let me go ahead and read that for us first. Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. These are the words of Jesus as recorded by Matthew and led along by the Holy Spirit. It says this. It says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word lasts forever, that your word does not return void. And so this morning we entrust your word to our hearts. We pray that your spirit would guide us, would lead us, would bring to light those things that you're saying in your word, that it would change us and cause us to be more like you, Jesus. And we ask all these things in your name. Amen. This morning I've entitled my message, More Than Just Don't Kill. As we see and we go back to the Old Testament, we see the Ten Commandments, and in the Ten Commandments, we see the Sixth Commandment is thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not murder. And what we see in this passage of Scripture is that Jesus is concerned with us not just looking at or resting in the bare minimum, that it's not just about us just kind of sliding by and say, well, I didn't do the really, really big things, and because I didn't do the really, really big things, my life is fine. I'm good. I'm obeying God. I'm glorifying God. And Jesus, in these next several passages of Scripture, is causing us to go deeper and wider in our thought of the law of God, of what he's actually expecting of us, and to not just be concerned with the bare minimum. Now, if you've seen me pull up into church before, you've seen my car, and you see that I have a 2005 Pontiac Bonneville, and it is, by the very definition, 
bare minimum. It gets me where I need to go. I have never doubted that. It gets me exactly where I need to go, but it is the bare minimum. The thermostat is broken. The speedometer does not work. The gas gauge works about half of the time. There is no air conditioning. My side mirror is about to fall off. Rust is taking over it, but it gets me where I need to go. It is by definition the bare minimum of cars. My daughter is learning to drive, and so she needs cars to be able to do that. Guess which which car she is not allowed to practice her driving in. The car that meets the standards of bare minimum. Why? My learning driver needs to know how fast she's going. My learning driver needs to know if she's about to run out of gas or not. My learning driver doesn't need to worry about looking to her left mirror and thinking it's going to fall off at any particular moment. My learning driver needs all of those things, and for her, the bare minimum is not sufficient for her. And for us, as we look at this passage of Scripture, I think there's too many of us, when it comes to anger, have settled into the bare minimum. We look at the commandments, we go through them, and we say to ourselves, well, I've not murdered anybody. I've not physically harmed anybody, so I'm obeying the commandment. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm doing the bare minimum. But we see in this passage of Scripture that Jesus is causing us to think bigger and broader about the commandments. If you want to follow along with me on your notes, if you have those, there's a little kind of summary paragraph there, what we're going to be talking about today. And what we're going to be talking about is in fulfilling the law, that Jesus is dealing both with the external fruit, don't murder, and the internal root of controlling our anger. Jesus is warning us to guard our hearts and to pursue right relationships with others. Our goal isn't simply not to murder, but to love people from a humble heart. And this is what Jesus is concerned about over and over and over again as he's going through the sermon. Jesus is concerned not with the external actions ultimately, He's concerned with what's going on in our hearts, what's driving those actions. Because in many ways, Jesus wants to kind of cut off what's going on in our heart before it shows itself. Before we murder someone, before we commit adultery, before we do all of those things. Jesus is desperately concerned that the sin, that the rebellion, that the things in our heart are taken care of before they show themselves outwardly in real action. If you're following along, I have three things I want us to kind of talk about this morning. I want us to avoid, number one, avoid respectable sin, and that's in quotation marks on purpose. Avoid respectable sin. I want us to seek reconciliation quickly and to know that we will experience real consequences. Real consequences. Let's look first at avoiding respectable sins. Now, I'm stealing that phrase, uh, phrase unashamedly from a book by Jerry Bridges by the very same name called Respectable Sins. If you haven't read it, it's a great book that kind of talks through all of the sins as Christians we kind of take lightly. Things like gossip and anger and all of those kinds of things that we kind of say, well, it's not that big of a deal. And he walks through and says, well, it's a much, much bigger deal than we give it credit for. And I think that anger at times is one of those quote-unquote respectable sins. Those things that we say in our life that, you know what, it's not that big a deal. Those things in our heart that we would often maybe give it another name. We would say that we are aggravated or frustrated 
or I lost my temper for a moment. Or this is kind of how we deal with conflict in our family. That I just had a, a brief moment of insanity in that moment. And we try to kind of lighten it. We lessen it. We say it's not that big a deal. We act like it's nothing. We, we act like it's a one-off kind of a thing. And we give it this unintentionally, this respectable sin kind of label that it's not really that big a deal. Yes, I probably shouldn't do it. I should probably avoid it. But it's not really that big a deal. Jesus doesn't give us that option when it comes to our anger. Look with me at verses 21 and 22. Jesus says here, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus starts this with the obvious statement, doesn't he? He says, you have heard, said to those of old, you shall not murder. You've heard that. He's kind of laying the table out. Okay, everybody, we can agree that murder is bad, right? Can we all nod our heads and agree that murder is bad? We all get there. We all kind of believe that murder is bad. And Jesus is saying, you've heard this for years and years and years and generations and generations that prophets and Pharisees and scribes and and all of those folks have told you for years and years and years, murder is bad and there are consequences to your murder or to to that action. But Jesus goes on to say, and as I said last week, We see in these passages of Scripture an authority from Jesus that is unlike any others. He's saying, you have heard, basically, you have heard the law and prophets. You have heard the Ten Commandments. You have heard it proclaimed to you, you shall not murder. But then we see in verse 22, but I say to you, Jesus in his authority who wrote the law, I say to you, here's what's really going on in that commandment. Here's the depth of what the commandment was all about. That everyone who is angry with his brother. Let's look at that phrase first. Everyone who is angry with your brother. Some of your versions might say angry without cause. Might say that in your versions. Whoever is angry without cause. That's not exactly in the original text, but that carries that idea with it of kind of an unchecked, hasty, rash, kind of brooding, without cause kind of anger. An anger that just kind of comes out of nowhere. An anger that doesn't necessarily have a root cause. An anger that kind of boils under the surface, if you will. An anger that goes unchecked. He goes on to say that kind of going bigger than that, whoever insults his brother. This word here, again, your version might say the word raka. This is kind of the the word that comes with that. There's not a, a real clear translation of that word. It's basically kind of a curse word. It basically means idiot. It basically means empty-headed or foolish. That if we're calling people and we're coming into, into the idea of their, of their intelligence and saying that they're empty-headed and, and giving a, a value, a low value to who they are. And it goes even further than that. Whoever says you fool will be liable to hell. Where raka is more empty-headedness, you fool carries the idea of, of morality. That you are a morally corrupt person. That you ought to be condemned for your actions. You see, what Jesus is trying to say to us, it's more than just don't murder. It's what's going on in our hearts, what's going on in our thoughts, what's driving us. How is our anger boiling to the surface? What Jesus is trying to communicate to us is that unchecked anger is dangerous and deadly and spreads quickly. 
Jesus is saying here, there's kind of this growth in anger. There's this first kind of unchecked, without cause, kind of you kind of fly off the handle for a second kind of anger. If that anger is undealt with, if it's not dealt with, it gets bigger than that. And then we kind of address that anger at other people and calling them names and demeaning them. And if that anger grows even more than that, then we're condemning another person and wishing they were dead or wishing that they were be judged because of their actions. Our anger continues to grow. And what Jesus is warning here is that unchecked anger will lead to murder. When we act out our sin, when we act out our anger, when we don't allow our sin to kind of go set aside, when those actions continue to grow, there will be fruit from those actions. And Jesus is saying way before the action happens, we have to check our hearts and our minds and see what's going on in us. The question is, why does it matter? Why do these kinds of things matter? Can't I just simply say, I've not murdered anybody and be satisfied with that? Well, we can say that, but Jesus tells us in other places, Matthew chapter 12 specifically, that he says, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified and by your words, you will be condemned. Why does it matter what our thoughts are? Why does it matter the the, the careless kind of throwaway words that we say in the middle of our anger? Because ultimately we will be held accountable for everything that we say. Ultimately we will be held accountable for every thought that we think. And so knowing that in his love and in his faithfulness and in his kindness, Jesus is warning us that all of those things matter. All of those little bits of rage, all of those moments of frustration, all of those times of calling someone a name to ourselves or to them, all of our our times of cutting someone down and tearing them down and lifting yourself up, all of those moments will be held accountable for. And there's no room for excuses here because we want no room for sin to grow. This is what Jesus is trying to eliminate in the hearts of those who are listening and in our hearts, that there will be no excuses, that there will be no opportunity for us to to say here, well, yeah, but I didn't really do it that often, or this is the way I was raised, or I had a bad day, or they had it coming, or I was hungry, or I was tired, or I was sick, or my boss was mean, or whatever the excuse is, Jesus is saying, none of those really matter. What matters is how you're responding from your heart. What matters is what's coming from your heart. Is it a heart of humility and of kindness, of love, or is it a heart of impatience or of tearing down? What are we saying about other people? Jesus is warning us because sin wants to grab hold of the next thing and get bigger and bigger and bigger. We look from the very beginning in the book of Genesis. We know the story of Cain and Abel, that Cain comes and gives an offering. Abel gives an offering. God likes Abel's offering, does not like Cain's offering. Cain grows angry in his heart. The Lord says in verse 6 of Genesis 4, The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, what does God say to Cain here? Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. When the anger begins to bubble up in us, when the desire to crush others, when the frustration begins to bubble up in us, when the names begin to bubble up in us, whatever it happens to be, Jesus is warning in this passage that our ultimate goal is not, I just need to make sure I don't kill this person. 
I can be as angry as I want. I can say every name I want to. I can crush them. I can tear down their reputation. I can do all those things. As long as I don't murder them, I'm in that safe zone. And Jesus is warning in this passage, there is no safe zone with sin. There's no gray area with sin. There's no opportunity in the middle of that. Jesus is saying we need to kill the anger, the frustration, whatever label you want to give it. We need to kill it in our hearts as soon as it becomes evident. As soon as we're made aware of the anger living us in our hearts. We see in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. It says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Jesus is warning us here as one who has already, we've seen already in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus has walked through temptation. He knows the tricks of the devil. And so warning his people, the devil wants to crush you. And one of the ways he does that is for you to, to lessen what you think about your sin. To lessen what you think about your anger and your frustration and just to let it fester and build up. We see in Ephesians, do not give opportunity to the devil. We see in Proverbs, the beginning of strife is like letting out of water. So quit before the quarrel breaks out. Some of you may know, some of you have owned houses. One of the worst things in your house is when you begin to see a drip or hear a drip of water in your house where it's not supposed to be dripping. That's the worst possible thing. You see it in the bathroom. You see it in the kitchen, in your bedroom. You begin to see a wet tile somewhere. It is the worst. Why? First and foremost is that water is not actually coming from that place ever. It's never dripping. That's never the source of the water. We think it is. We hope it is. But it's never the source of the water. It's always something else. And by the time we see the drips, the damage is already done in our house. It's already too late. And so what, the, what Solomon is telling us in Proverbs is just like that kind of water, just as strife kind of is water letting out and will go wherever it wants to go, we must kill it in our hearts before it destroys. Before it destroys. There's a newspaper article written about a, a, an act of violence that took place, that took place in a South American country. A peasant killed his best friend while they were arguing about political differences. And when asked why he did it, he replied with these chilling words. We began peacefully, and then we argued. I killed him when I ran out of words. This is where our anger goes. This is where unchecked sin goes. None of us intend to murder, I hope. This friend did not intend to kill his best friend in this moment. But strife continued to build and build and build until in his heart and his mind, the only action he had left was to murder his best friend. That was the only thing that was going to solve the problem in that moment. And I don't want to hyperbolize this and to say, hey, if you lose your temper today, you're going to kill somebody tomorrow. I hope that's not the case. If you're feeling that, please talk to me before you leave here today. We need to have long conversations about what's going on in your heart. I'm not saying that. But I am saying, along with Jesus, that there's a danger with lessening our anger and saying it's really not that big a deal. Some of us really need to deal with our anger. Some of us are taking our anger out on our spouses, on our children, on our coworkers, on those who are in the church with you. Some of you are, have an anger that is, it is, you're carrying with you. 
Some of you are carrying these, these, this anger and this bitterness alongside of you that needs to be repented of, that needs to be brought to the light, that needs to be fixed by the grace of Jesus. And I have to ask the question in my anger, what's the goal of my anger? Because I think it's okay for us to be angry. So I don't think Jesus is saying here, never be angry. There are things that are, are right for us to be angry about. Sin, I want to be angry about the sin in my heart. I want to be angry when I see sin in other people's. I want to be angry when I see injustice, when I see God's name not being glorified. I think there's a, a right or righteousness to that level of anger. But I don't think Jesus is saying never be angry here. He's saying be careful about your anger. What is your goal of your anger? Is the goal of your anger the glory of God, or is the goal of your anger the glory of yourself? What's driving your anger? What's motivating your anger? Is it God's reputation or is it your reputation? Is it the right response of others or is it seeing what God wants to do? And this idea of anger in our hearts is, is not a new idea. And I love that, that Jesus is saying here, listen, you've heard from a long time, do not murder. And we think to ourselves, well, Jesus is bringing us something new. He's bringing this new idea. We didn't kind of never thought about it in a bigger way than this. But Leviticus tells us in Leviticus 19, he says, You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So this isn't a new idea. It's been embedded in the law since the law was given to us that from our hearts, we love and we don't hate. That from our hearts, we set aside God as king, not as ourselves. And so we need to avoid this respectable sin. Some of us just, I'll just be blunt with you. Some of us just need to confess. I'm an angry person. I see it in my life. I see how quickly it comes out. I see how quickly it boils over in my life. I see when things don't go well, how quickly I go to anger in my life. I see that I'm carrying this anger against another person in my life. Some of us this morning, just plain and simple, just need to confess that before the Lord and ask for his help and ask him to redeem you and ask him to cleanse you. And ask him to give you a peace that passes all understanding. Some of us need to confess that. Some of us just need to acknowledge the fact that you're not just frustrated, you're angry. You're not just tired, you're angry. You're not just hungry, you're angry. You're not just the, whatever it is, you're angry. And confess that before the Lord and allow his grace to wash over you in forgiveness. And so we need to see that we need to avoid the respectable sin of anger. And secondly in this, we need to seek reconciliation quickly. When anger comes out, when anger is, is shown to us, when it reveals itself, Jesus doesn't simply say, hey, don't be angry. He goes on to say, if you're angry, find a way to make it right as quickly as possible. Get it out of your heart. Get it out of your life. Fix whatever's going on as quickly as possible. Look with me in verses 23 to 25. It says, Jesus goes on to say, so if you are offering your gift at the altar— <clears throat> And there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court. You see this passage of scripture that, that Jesus is telling us that as soon as it becomes clear to us, as soon as we're aware of the struggle that we're having in our hearts, take care of it immediately. 
Even if on your way to the temple, on your way to worship, on your way to offering a gift to the Lord, stop what you're doing, fix the problem. Reconcile with your brother and sister. Because relationships are infinitely more important than rituals. The relationship you have with the Lord, the relationship you have with people is infinitely more important than any ritual that you can perform. We see in this passage of scripture that says that you need to be reconciled to your brother. What this word means in the Greek is to to make other than what it is. That's what reconciled means. Whatever the situation is, to reconcile means to make it other than what it is. Means that that's going to take time. It might take work. It might take patience. It might take confession. It might take forgiveness. It might take a chance of circumstances. It might take a lot of things to make sure that it's other than what it is. Jesus is saying here, it's not simply drop your uh, your gift at the altar, drive by your person's house and scream out the window, I'm sorry, going back to church. And you drive back to church and you do your thing. Because what's changed? Nothing's changed. The situation isn't different at all. There's actually a hotline now. It's called an apology hotline. You can call a number and you can confess and say you're sorry into an answering machine, basically. And so they say, well, it really helps people because it lets, gets it off their chest and it, it allows them freedom to say the things. But guess what? When they hang up the phone, nothing's changed. The situation's still hurt. That person may be hurt. Nothing's really changed. You get a false sense of forgiveness in that simply because you've said the thing out loud. Jesus is saying here that we are to be reconciled, that there might be time that you might have to set aside your active worship of God, of coming until the situation is fixed. Because Jesus says here, until the situation is fixed, to the best of your ability, your worship is going to be hindered. Now, I get it. At times, we go to reconcile, and the one that we're trying to reconcile with has no desire to reconcile with you, has no response, does not offer forgiveness, does not offer an apology to you. Maybe the person you need to reconcile with is gone, is dead, isn't even in this world anymore. And so I think for us, it's in those moments that we, in our own, and what God has given to us, and everything that we can do that is best that we can do, that we say, I made every effort to make things different than what they were. I sought to apologize. I confessed my sin. I asked for forgiveness. I sought out for them to talk through things. But at the end of the day, sometimes it's not going to be different than what it is, except in our hearts. Except we can say honestly before the Lord, I've done what I needed to do. I've I've sought forgiveness. I've sought this to be made right in my life. He goes on to say in verse 25 that we come to terms quickly with our accuser. Again, in the Greek, what this means is that I will be well-minded towards my accuser. Again, Jesus is saying really big things that don't make sense apart from him working in our lives. If someone is accusing you of wrongdoing, Jesus is saying here, go to them and then become well-minded of them. Think well of your accuser. That's a really, it's an impossible thing. Some of us have been accused, some of us rightly so, some of us unjustly accused, and to think in ourselves that the standard is to think well of my accuser. That doesn't necessarily mean that I want them to have a great life and I want everything to go away and the circumstances and the consequences is to go away. But what we want for them is for God to bless them. 
for God to be in relationship with them, to God maybe to convict them of their sin, to change their heart, for them to be in right relationship with God and others, to be well-minded towards them. These two things seem impossible for us. They just seem like, again, a higher standard for us that when we've been wrong, we want the other person to run to us. When we've been wrong, we want to kind of carry on with our lives and act like everything is fine. But Jesus is saying here we need to take care of these things in our hearts as quickly as possible. Reconcile as quickly as possible. Change the circumstances as best as you can. Think well of the one who has hardship against you. Jesus even says that we need to pray for our persecutors. We need to bless those who persecute us. This is the attitude of those who are in God's kingdom. And I think for some of us that we're harboring some bitterness in our hearts. We're harboring some unforgiveness in our hearts. For some of us, we listen to a message or we read the word or we listen to a worship song and we walk away and it it just feels distant from us. That there's no real connection that's happening there. That I look at my heart and my life and I don't see a lot of growth happening in my life. I feel like I'm just spinning my wheels at times. And I think for some of us, the reason for that is that we're harboring unforgiveness in our hearts. We've not attempted to reconcile with those who have hurt us. We're harboring the anger because let's be honest, we like the anger. We like to be angry. We like the idea of God bringing down his justice on that other person. We'd like to be there because in my anger, I'm in control. In my anger, I can determine how I feel about this person, how I interact with this person. But when I'm reconciling with them, I'm releasing that control. I'm saying, God, you have to fix this. You have to do this. You're going to make this different than it is. And I need to trust you for what that is on the other side of this, whatever that happens to be. I think for many of us, we are We're kind of trying to live two lives. I'll confess that I've done a thing in my life that I know that you have never, ever done in your life. I have been unkind or being mean or yelling at my kids and say, how could you do this? Why would you do this? My phone rings. I pick it up. Hey, how's it going? I'm doing great. My day's going well. Everything's going great. All right, I'll see you tonight. How in the world could you do this? Like, we just do this back and forth. None of you have ever done that before, right? I remember my mom and dad doing that, and I was always just like, you were just yelling at me 30 seconds ago, and now you are the nicest person I've ever seen in my life to this other person. And I think what's going on there at times is we try to live our lives like that. We try to live our lives with others, with anger, kind of harboring and bitterness and unforgiveness in our hearts, and then we come to service, and we gather, and we lift our hands and praise God, and everything's great, and everything's wonderful, and then we get back in the car, and we start the fight right where we left off. And I think for some of us this morning, and I wouldn't be offended at all, and no one's going to judge you at all, some of us just need to get up and leave. Some of us just need to go to the car right now. Some of us just need to drive home right now and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I treated you that way. I'm sorry I said those things to you. I'm sorry I acted like this this morning. Some of us need to get up in the middle of our worship or our quiet time and say, I've got to set this aside until I make this right. Because until I try to make this right, everything is going to be hindered. There's a necessity to our reconciliation. And there's an urgency to our reconciliation. There's a necessity because it reflects who God is and it reflects his character. There's an urgency because if we don't take care of it, it will grow and it will fester and it will become bigger and bigger and bigger. We need to keep short accounts with one another. When we're hurt in love and humility, express that hurt. 
when we've hurt others in love and humility, ask for forgiveness. This is those who are living in the kingdom of God. Not only are we need to avoid these kind of um, respectable sins, not only do we need to seek reconciliation quickly, but finally, number three, we will experience real consequences. Jesus is not saying, listen, if you, if you can figure it out, do it, great. If not, no big deal. No, Jesus says there is very real consequences for allowing our anger to fester and allowing a lack of reconciliation in our lives. Look with me again at verse, or verse 26. It says, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, you reconcile unless they hand you over. And the judge to the guard, and you'll be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Look in verse 21. It says you will be liable to judgment. Verse 22, liable to judgment. Verse 22 again, liable to the council. Verse 23, liable to the hell of fire. What he's saying here is that you are in danger of something. You are in danger of judgment. You are in danger of your whole world crashing down on you. You are in danger of broken relationships if this is not taken care of quickly. There are real consequences to our actions. Sinclair Ferguson says this about our anger. He says, we treat the damage we do with our lips very lightly because we do not see the corpses we leave behind. It's such a powerful statement. I think there are many of us that are are holding our anger lightly, our frustration lightly, because we're not seeing the damage that we're doing with our words, the damage that we're doing with our thoughts, just the wake behind us of destruction when we act the way that we act. That there are very real consequences to our actions. And Jesus is warning us here of that if it's not taken care of. And as the the sin grows, the consequences grow. The judgment grows. At the beginning, he says here in verse 22, you're liable to judgment if you are angry with your brother. Basically saying there's kind of this idea, this smaller kind of um, council or smaller court that kind of takes care of the lighter things. That this is happening, there's a responsibility there. As your sin grows bigger, the judgment grows bigger. He goes on to say that you're liable to the council, to the Sanhedrin. It becomes more public. It becomes more dangerous. It becomes greater or weightier. At the end of this, he says, if it's not taken care of, hell is the response. Separation from God is the consequence of this. See the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident— Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, divisions, and envy. All of those things are, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You think your anger isn't a big deal? You think your frustration, whatever you want to label it, isn't a big deal? The Apostle Paul is telling us here, Jesus is saying, is telling us here, if anger is a part of your heart, a regular part of your heart, an unconfessed, undealt with part of your heart, then you're not in the kingdom of God. Because that is not an evidence of someone who has been brought into the kingdom of God. I'm not saying we're never angry ever. I'm not saying there are times that we might lose our time. I'm not saying that it's perfection. 
But I'm saying if there is anger in our hearts that continues to grow and is undealt with and continues to show itself again and again and again, we must ask ourselves, has my heart truly been changed? Am I truly in the kingdom of God? Because someone in the kingdom of God will not act like this. Jesus is saying here, driven by both the desire for holiness and love, is it warns us that what can come from unchecked, unconfessed anger. His desire is for the Father's glory and for our good. He is warning us as one who loves us. He is not coming in as, as the great lawmaker trying to crush us and to find wrong things in us and trying to destroy us and manipulate us and say, you're bad, bad, bad. What he's saying is, you're going the wrong way. And if you continue on this path, you will die. And I love you enough to say, stop, go another direction. There's a better way to live. There's a better way to honor your neighbor. There's a better way to honor God. We see in this the danger, the consequences of this, the negative consequences that come from this. There's judgment, hindered relationship with God, broken relationships with people. We carry guilt with us. We carry shame with us. There's a dishonoring of the name of Jesus that comes with our anger. I hope and I pray that when people see you out in the world and they see you living your life, and they see you responding to the frustrations, the difficulties, the inconveniences of life, that if you were to confess to them that you were a follower of Jesus, they would not be shocked by that. They would not say, it's not, I saw the way you reacted to that. I see the way you are at work. I see when things aren't going wrong. I hear the way you talk to your wife on the phone. The the things don't quite match up. Or when difficulties come in our life, when, when, when hard things come in our life, when frustrations come in our life, when, when things don't work out the way that we want to, are we reflecting the attitude of Jesus? Are we reflecting what Jesus cares about most? And there are positive consequences too. When I get rid of the anger in my life, when I get rid of the strife or the dissension or the, the argument uh, in my life, there are positive consequences to that. People want to come near me. I have deeper relationships with others. And mostly, God is glorified. God is honored. We already learned about this earlier on. Why do we do good works? Why do we act in a way that is in line with Jesus? So that God will get the glory. So that people will see the way we respond and give the praise to God. As we think about the anger that's boiling in us at times, the anger that kind of just kind of is just under the surface at times in our lives, the anger when things get stressful, when we get disappointed, that kind of comes out in us. How do we view that anger? Do we view it like Jesus warns us not to view it? Like, well, at least I didn't do this. Is your response in your anger, well, at least I didn't? If that's your response, you already did. If your response is, well, at least I didn't hit someone, or at least I didn't scream at someone, or at least I didn't do whatever at this time, your heart was already guilty long before that. And we confess those things before the Lord. And again, as I said, some of us just need to confess our sin. Stop treating it lightly. Stop treating it as respectful. Stop treating it as that, well, this is the way I deal with my problems. We need to confess it and get rid of it because there are real dangers that come with us. Some of us are like the Pharisees in Matthew 23. Jesus says to those Pharisees, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. 
These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guide, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. There's some of us this morning that need to confess before the Lord, I've, I've kind of just settled into the bare minimum. That you're kind of like my Bonneville. It gets me where I need to go. I've, God isn't mad at me anymore. I'm in a relationship with God. I've, I've not done the big things. I've not murdered anyone. I'm, I'm doing the bare minimum to get by, to get God, quite frankly, to get God off my back. I've done the bare minimum. But Jesus in this moment is causing us to go deeper and deeper into our hearts and say, what's going on deep down inside of us? What is the root cause of all this? What is bringing all of this out in me? Where does the anger come from? Am I afraid of something? Oftentimes our anger is rooted in fear. We're afraid of what the other person's going to do. We're afraid of what other people are thinking. We're afraid of what God's going to do. And so because of that, we act out in anger. Is it pride? I didn't get what I wanted. I look stupid in this moment. And so my anger comes out in this. Is it control? I can't control what's happening. I can't control the other person's heart. I can't control their response. I can't control the traffic. I can't control the weather. I can't control those things. And so my anger comes out in that. Is there unresolved conflict that's going on in your heart that's producing itself in anger in your life? Ultimately in this, as we see in closing this morning, ultimately in this what we need, we don't need anger management classes. That's not ultimately what we need. We don't need better tactics. We don't need better things that I just need to count to 10 backwards and calm down and my anger goes away. Maybe in that moment, guess where the anger still is? It's still in our hearts. It's just getting pushed down. And if that's all we're trying to do is kind of fix things on the surface, anger always finds a way out. And the more we push it down, the more we ignore it, the bigger it is when it shows itself the more dramatic it is when it shows itself, the greater hurt it causes when it shows itself. And so ultimately what we need in this is we need a new heart, a heart that is thankful to the Lord, a heart that is humble before the Lord, a heart that desires God to be in control and is okay with God being in control, a a heart that entrusts justice to the Lord and say, you need to take care of this in a way that is perfect and right and just. I need a different heart. Jesus gives me a different heart. He exchanges my heart of stone, my heart of anger, for a heart of flesh, a heart that worships, a heart that is joyful, a heart that is thankful. I also need a law keeper. The law is don't murder. The law is don't have anger in your heart. The law says love your brother as yourself. The law says to love God as yourself. Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And so in Jesus, I have a law keeper. I have one who can save me. I need a savior to rescue me from this heart of anger, to rescue me from my frustration, to rescue me from these moments. I need a savior to save me from this. Jesus is the savior. This is what I love about Jesus. This is what I love about this law keeper. It doesn't simply come and say, do better. Have a good life. Do better. What Jesus comes and says is, I've done better for you. Trust in me. Give yourself to me, and I will change you. I will make you better. I will take care of the anger in your heart and exchange the anger and the bitterness and the unforgiveness for peace 
that passes all understanding, that you can be in right relationship with me and in right relationship with others. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for the conviction that it brings. God, we thank you, God, for how much that I need to hear this, how much that I need to search my own heart and to see the anger that is in my heart at times, to confess that anger to you, to release that anger, Lord, to ask you to change my heart and to seek reconciliation with others, God, that you can empower me to do so. I pray, God, that we would be a people marked by reconciliation, a people marked by humility, a people marked by seeking to be in right relationship with everyone as best as we possibly can, to be at peace with everyone as best as we possibly can, and trusting it to you. May the world see in us a humility, a patience, Lord, a willingness even to be persecuted or falsely accused for the sake of the glory of your name. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good stand with